United States Business Radio, 630 WTPF. Tom Kearney, it's Monday. It's uh, 13th of July in the year 2020. We're live and in real time, as we are every night, Monday through Friday, and we hope you will join us. We try to have programs that are entertaining and uh, edifying so that you will be happy and, and learn something, too. And uh, once a month, for the longest time, we have invited Dr. Michael Walden, who is William Neal Reynolds Professor of Economics at NC State University, where he has been on the faculty since the late 1970s, to visit with us and take care of part of his job as a land-grant university professor. Uh, and uh, Dr. Walden, are you there? I am, Tom. And the first thing I want to say is the next time we meet, so when we meet next month, is we will be in the baseball, Major League Baseball season. Well, I was, you know, actually, as the theme song came on, I was figuring, how do I approach this now? And I've actually heard that the Reds are, are uh, in pretty good shape. Is that true? Reds made a lot of moves over the season, over the off season. They, yeah, their their roster looks much better. They plugged some holes pitching, uh, infield. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think they open at home. And this is going to be a crazy season because it's sixty games. They open at home against Detroit. Uh. Well, when I was Nashville young, they right always here. opened at home. As you they know. always open at home, that's right. But obviously Detroit's an American League team. They usually they don't open with the American League team, but they're going to do it this year. And the National League is now going to use designated hitter also. And we have to tell the listeners why they always opened at home. <laughs> and that is because they're the first professional baseball team in America. Mm-hmm. First team to pay, 18, I think, 1869. I think they went by... Cincinnati Red Stockings there, and they were the first professional team, meaning the players got paid. Got money for it. The Cincinnati Reds. What's going on here is Dr. Walden is a Reds fan, and Mm -hmm. yours truly, Tom, is a Pirates fan, and they have uh, taken themselves a part over the last few years, and I guess they're in that perennial, proverbial, whatever mode of rebuilding, as the Reds have been. And uh, probably the Reds will top them out this year, but we can always we can always hope not. And so, yeah, sixty games not a lot for baseball. That's going to be uh, very no, interesting. You just get started then, but yeah, yeah just get uh, warmed up. Yeah. Now, is it true? And I'm pulling your leg here now that you went to Cornell to get your PhD because I believe one of their colors is red. Oh, it is. Yes, red and white. In fact, red their, white. Their nickname red is red. the Cornell Big Red. You've gotten used to being in Cincinnati, where and you do you do you, you're not old enough to remember in the uh, in the 1950s when the Cincinnati team had to change their name because of the what the word Reds meant. And they were the Red Legs for a while, yeah. Yeah, the Red Legs is what the, the one I remember because if you were a Red in those days of the Cold War, you might right. have been a fellow traveler or something. Yeah. So, yeah. But they they've gotten back to where they're. By the time they had the big red machine, they were all right again. Well, we're really supposed to be here to talk about economics tonight, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with talking about America's great pastime. However foreshortened the season may be, I think they're going to have 62 games, if I remember. 60, yeah. right. 60, okay. Tony was on with us last Tuesday, and Uh we talked about the fact that the minor leagues are not going to be playing at all. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. And uh, in any event, but... uh, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about. Actually, Dr. Walden is the brain to this outfit. He's going to do most of the talking. And truth in broadcasting, he gives me a cheat sheet because he's the guy who follows the economic goings on, and he suggests that the things that we ought to talk about. And that way, I don't go wandering off into the jungle talking about something that really doesn't matter that much. And so, 
here we are, and uh, we will be here uh, for the next radio hour, and we're going to begin by talking about the economy and the virus yeah. and uh, how things are going there. Well, and obviously this is the topic and will continue to be the topic. And just a little background, uh, we are officially in a recession. Uh, that has been called, if you will, by an organization that's actually outside the federal government. Uh, we've been in a recession since February. And all that means is instead of the economy going forward, it's been going backward. And I think people uh, don't need to remind people of this, but the big um, fallout has been the long, tremendous loss of jobs nationally. Almost uh, 20 million people at the peak lost their jobs. This is a different kind of a recession. I call it a mandated recession because there really wasn't anything wrong with our economy that typically gets us into a recession like um, overindulgence in debt, um, um, uh, too much speculation in various investment markets, et cetera, uh, oil, oil uh, supply constraints that caused two recessions in the 1970s. Instead, this recession was really created by mandates to limit personal interaction uh, in order to contain the virus, not overwhelm the healthcare system. And, however, if you tell people to stay home, if you close businesses and, like, restaurants and most uh, factories, uh, you're going to have a recession, and that's not to criticize those decisions. That probably was the right thing to do if we were going to save <clears throat> save lives and and uh, minute, uh, minimize the number of uh, cases. Uh, the last two months, we've we have we've turned the corner in that we've been adding jobs, about two and a half million jobs added in in April, about five million jobs. These are national numbers. I'm sorry, two and a half million jobs in May, about five million jobs in June. We had jobs in North Carolina in, in uh, May. We don't yet have the June numbers. In fact, we'll have them this Friday. I suspect they'll be positive. So we've turned the corner uh, as the economy has begun to reopen, as, as governors across the country have begun to uh, reopen. We're in phase three of that here in North Carolina. And uh, But there's trouble uh, in the sense that we're seeing the spikes in cases. Uh, we're seeing hospitals now uh, getting very close to capacity. California today went back. They are now closing totally restaurants and some other venues there. So um, this, we're at a, we're at a I think I, I, I might call it a tipping point here. We go one way or the other, and I think it really depends upon um, people behaving themselves when they're in public. Uh, of course, you know the recommendations in North Carolina to wear masks to wash your hands frequently, to maintain that distance between you and other people. Uh, and there have been all kinds of studies that show those things do work. But um, if people don't behave in public, then it looks like we're going to, we may continue to have an increase in cases. And the, and the worry is, will we have to go back to where we were? Will we have to put additional constraints in the economy? So I think the next several months are going to be, uh, be quite vital. But, uh, uh I think the numbers you will hear from North Carolina on Friday, which will <clears throat> represent what happened in June, will be very positive. The question is, will that continue? Um, and I think we do have to get a handle on those caseloads. I guess it's going to be a case of where a lot, of, a lot is going to depend on how the citizens comport themselves over the next few months, and whether things can happen voluntarily or with enthusiasm that might have to be forced otherwise. And, 
and to therefore have a wider effect. Yeah. Uh, then the other the other thing looming out there, and we did have some good news on this front today. I think it was Pfizer pharmaceutical company that uh, I forget what stage of trials beyond the first trial might be two uh, with their vaccine, and that was very very positive news. In fact, the stock market I think went up at one point uh, 450 points. Ended up not much up at all because I think a negative reaction what California decided to do to reimpose the mandates. But ultimately, the vaccine is going to be the cure to all of this. And the sooner we can get that and get that implemented, I think Pfizer said that their vaccine, they're working toward having maybe 100 million doses ready by the end of the year. And that would be a big game changer in this. I think that would relieve a lot of pressure and um, and, and, and really be the... the um, the result that we need in order to really contain this virus. Well, we're right now, Dr. Walter, walking around the edge of topic number two, and we need to take a break, so we will we will uh, tease topic number two is, okay, when will things be normal again? Dr. Mike Walden will give us perhaps an answer to that question right after this. It's 5.9, I I haven't gotten used to that one yet. That's a new one, but that's the one that you're supposed to put on your FM side. Uh, my, my car radio has an AM band and two FM bands. And I always save one for, for QDR and, uh, and one, for, uh, well, one for WPTF-FM now, so I can hear it on that side as well as on the AM side. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest tonight. We, we teased you with a question since Dr. Walden had been talking about the economy and the neuro... I cannot say it, the virus uh, tonight. And uh, the question is for the economy, when will it be normal again? Or will it ever be normal, Dr. Walden? Well, uh, good question, Tom. And I put out a report actually dated June, July 1st, so the first this month. And trying to answer that question as best we know right now, uh, and looking at both national and, and North Carolina forecasts, uh, the good news is that we do think that we're past the worst of the virus's impact on the economy in terms of job loss and uh, income loss, et cetera. Uh, that is to say, translated another way, we're, we, we do think the economy will improve this year and into 2021 and beyond. Uh, more specifically, most of the economic forecasts think that we're going to see a fairly sharp rebound in improvement for this year, that is the rest of 2020, um, then a slower rebound in 2021 and 2022. Um, and I'll, I'll say why, why in a moment. However, however, and this is the big point, if you look at the two major, and there are lots of economic measures and metrics out there, but the two major metrics are gross domestic product, which translated simply means aggregate production. It's a number that economists created to allow us to put everything that every business, uh, every firm does into one single number so you can combine what the farmers do, the manufacturers do, people in the service sector, public sector, private sector, et cetera, into one number. Um, and the bad news there is that we don't think it will be until early, and hold your hat on this, 2023, uh, that that number, that gross uh, domestic product number, aggregate production, uh, will be back to where it was pre-virus. 
Uh, so that just shows you how much we've lost in the economy, particularly in the, in the past uh, three months. The other metric that we follow is one that people are very familiar with. It's the job market, and probably this, the uh, outstanding statistic there is the unemployment rate. Uh, going into this uh, pandemic-inspired recession, North Carolina's unemployment rate was under 4%, around 3.8%. Very, very good. That's a very low number. It's a very good number. Uh, the forecast is that it will not be until, uh, again, 2023, probably late 2023, that we that we approach that again. So uh, the bottom line here is that it's going to, this virus really, and the, and the steps that we had to take and constrain the economy and dealing with the virus has really hurt our economy. Um, let me explain a little bit why uh, economists think that the rest of this year could be very good in terms of growth, but succeeding years slower. I think the, the the reason why the economy may spring back rather rapidly the, the second half of this year is simply that um, people have been cooped up a long time, businesses were closed, uh, people didn't go to work. Uh, as we move back to normal, hopefully, and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about that more also, as we move back to to normal, um, there's going to be a big burst of activity. Again, we already saw that with the two national job reports in May and June. Um, economists have a term for this. It's called pent-up demand. So we have all this energy pent up to all this desire to spend inside of us. We couldn't spend. When we get the opportunity, we're going, to, we're going to see that really burst forward. And that's Dr. When, Walter, wouldn't it be fair to think of that kind of like what happened after World War II or any war? Yeah, like similar, that. similar. And, and actually yeah. you see it after most recessions, yes. Um, then once we get past that, and, and again, um, just in terms of chronology, we think this will roughly correspond to the beginning of 2021 and thereafter, um, the, that, that'll be dissipated, that'll be, that'll be gone. And then what we'll begin to see in terms of holding our economy back is all the carnage created by this this virus? The fact that maybe as high as 20% of our businesses will have been have been lost. I saw a statistic today that suggests that one out of four restaurants will go bankrupt as a result of this as a, this this pandemic inspired recession. Uh, so we won't we won't have the economy back to full speed in terms of number of firms. Secondly, a lot of jobs won't come back. Um, People will, businesses have had to look for ways to do more with less, and they, they probably are using their labor force more efficiently. They're also probably going to be motivated to look for non-labor substitutes, machines, technology, et cetera. So all the jobs that we lost, and, and nationally we lost about 20 million jobs. We've, we've recovered uh, just shy of 8 million of those, so we're, we're, only, we're not even halfway back. But... Um, most economists think we're not going to get all those back, and that's going to hold the, the labor market uh, back. Now, I actually think this <clears throat> this scenario is, is maybe the optimistic scenario because what I, we were talking about before, Tom, what we're seeing right now in real time, some of the, the spike in cases, some of the um, demands now putting on the hospital system as cases go up, uh, that could that could send us back. And again, I, I mentioned California is now taking a step back in terms of reimposing some closures. So there's a lot of lot that we don't we really don't have a good handle on predicting. Uh, it may be that the virus for some reason dissipates. That would be obviously be good news, but we don't know. 
uh, people are learning things about this virus every day. And now, for example, I read last week that it's now been documented the virus now can uh, spread uh, through through the air, can be airborne. It can the the, the the droplets that contain the virus can hang hang up in the air. So we we, we are in a situation here, Tom, that uh, in terms of the nexus between the virus and the economy that we've never ever had before. So uh, any any forecast, this forecast that I've given should be taken with, uh, and it's the best I can do, but it should be looked at in that sense that that reality can be better, which we hope it is, uh, or reality could be be worse. Well, one of the things that happens at a time like this is businesses find out they can, if they survive, that they can do things more efficiently, that they can do it uh, digitally rather than with real life people or some equivalent of that, and that's what they do. uh, Well, that's right. I mean, I think, yeah, I think, and you can understand this from a business point of view. I mean, what's happened, uh, again, over the last several months is people were told to stay home, uh, so businesses didn't have a workforce. Um, If they brought people in, they were worried about those people being sick and infecting others. So in this sense, this virus has made labor... um, um, has made businesses be very cautious about using people, and I and I do think that um, an acceleration will occur. There was already a, a move in this direction, but I think that move of, of trying to substitute machinery or technology for people, I think that will accelerate as a result of this this pandemic. We're about two minutes away from the news now, so that gives us just time enough to open the door to the next topic. And it has an intriguing uh, nomenclature, and that is, Dr. Walton said to me, Tom, write down 2020 is really 2030. (laughs) And again, Tom is confused. But then again, that's why we have Dr. Walton. Well, I've used that, and it's not original with me. I read it somewhere, and I should have written down who I was reading. But what what it implies is that, we have had trends in the economy, like I was mentioning, uh, businesses using more technology and and uh, machinery versus people. Uh, we've seen remote working. We've seen that going up. We've seen remote learning go up. So all those were trends that existed. What this person that I that I took took that quote from was implying that the virus and the pandemic and the economy that that has created has accelerated all those trends. And so, what what 2020 is really 2030 is saying that we we really we're really fast forwarding in our economy. This virus is fast forwarding our economy to where we likely will see more remote working. I think pre-virus, about eight percent of the workforce worked remotely. I've seen some estimates that could be as high as 33 percent in a couple of years. Um, remote education, obviously, that's a, that's a big issue now. Can students uh, learn? Remotely, some are going to have to. Some colleges, like Harvard and Yale, I believe, that's all they're going to do for this semester. And things like remote medicine. I told the story. I think last time I was on with you, Tom, where our our healthcare provider, right after the virus um, closed things, uh, contacted us and said, "If you need to see the doctor, don't come to the office. We're not there, but go into your portal that we you have with us." communicate that way. It turned out my wife, Mary, had an issue, and she did that. It was all taken care of virtually. So, Hold on right there. That's a uh, good place to stop. Excellent. Portals and 
things happening like that. We need to find out more about that, but we've got to check the news uh, in the world, and then we'll be back. The 933 News Radio 680 WCTF. Tom Kearney here on Monday, July the 13th. Dr. Mike Waller, professor of economics at NC State, is making his monthly visit. He's been coming to visit us since about 1990, I think, and... Uh, once again, he's here to update us on what is going on in the economy. Uh, what I can recommend to you is read a little bit in the newspaper every day, watch a little television, and join Dr. Walden when he comes and uh, listen as he tries to make some sense of all the information that you may have gathered. Dr. Walden, we were in the middle of something, I think, and it had to do with uh, whether 2020 was 2030 or not. That's right, and and what that means is that we we economists, but other other professions looking at their aspect of, of life, uh, think that one of the long-lasting impacts of this pandemic has been to accelerate, not necessarily to create new trends, but accelerate the trends that were already ongoing. And I mentioned, for example, remote working, um, uh, home delivery of meals and other products. I mean, that that's, uh, there's some speculation that maybe restaurants will do more business uh, in the future, they've already been doing it in the recent past, but more business in the future, delivering prepared meals to you at home rather than people going to the restaurant. Um, talked about remote education, uh, remote use of, of medicine, et cetera. Another thing that we have well, certainly has been an ongoing trend has been the tension, if you will, between retail stores, what's called brick-and-mortar retail stores, and cyber buying, and of course, cyber buying has been taking business away from big brick and mortar retail stores. And again, we think that's a trend that will be accelerated as a result of this pandemic. So we're probably going to have more closures. In fact, already have had some, some big name, national name retailers that say they're they're not coming back, but probably going to have more of that. The ones that are left will probably either probably be consolidation. Um, but more, more and more buying will probably be done through through cyber, and probably one of the more interesting possibilities of all this, particularly if we have remote working take off, and as, as some projected, maybe reaching a third of the workforce. What will that do to, for example, the office uh, building market, uh, the office market, which you see these high rises in downtown Raleigh, downtown Durham, downtown Charlotte. Most big cities in their downtown core, or even in North Carolina, here in Raleigh, it's not necessarily just downtown uh, North Hills. We've seen a lot of development there of these high rises that are office buildings. And well, what if a large part of those folks are not going to go into the office or not going to the office frequently, but they're going to work at home? As many businesses have said, they'll actually like that. What's that going to do to the demand for, for office space? And will we have a curtailment of the office space? What would it do to commuting? It could probably make commuting easier if not as many people are out there on the road every day uh, because they're working from home. You won't have as much commuting. So the point here is that, that this virus has forced us to probably push these trends forward that were already there, and that's, that's why the, the little uh, phrase, 2020 is really 2030. I mean, that was, that's what that's about, that things that would have happened in 2030 that we were on pace to reach in 2030, they're happening much earlier. Uh, I'd like to take the ball once in a while, Dr. Walter, and run yeah, away with oh, it. absolutely. And, uh, before all of this stuff got started, uh, there was a lot of discussion of whether Amazon had the model up for the future, mm-hmm. uh, being a uh, facilitator for for 
uh, a lot of other companies who had products to sell and making sure those products could could, could be delivered. And uh, indeed, it might be that, that that's one of the trends that would be uh, accelerated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know, cyber buying and, and delivery, that's right. Uh, Amazon, of course, is the, the, big, the big player there. Walmart has done very, very well. They've They've been after. I mean, they've been a brick and mortar store for forever, but they've added home delivery and and, and uh, internet buying, and they've actually done quite well. So yeah, that that was part of that notion of uh, going into an office, going into a building, going into a store, and picking out what you want to buy in it. That's going to wane. It's not going to go away totally, but that's going to wane. And instead, more and more people are going to be ordering on online, and then having things delivered. And, and again, I, I, even if the, even if this pandemic, and hopefully it's not an even when it goes away, and hopefully it does go away sooner rather than later, I think probably this has made such a mark on us, has influenced us that planning for a future pandemic is probably going to be with us for for a while, and I think that's something that's going to drive these changes. You know, there used to be a guy named, his first name was Herman. I can't remember his last name. But he was paid to think of the unthinkable and, you know, think about what might be and what uh-huh. could be. Uh, and, and for a, a thinking, uh, what am I trying to say, a brain brain trust somewhere. But uh, I think what you just said may be one of the real things that is going to come out of this, and that is to, to, to plan uh, for something, the inevitable, to, to happen. Now... I think something as mundane as whomever is is elected president uh, in November, one of my forecasts is that uh, we will have a new cabinet-level department, maybe Department of uh, Pandemic Control, something like that. We had it after 9-11. Department of Homeland Security was all those functions. We we had anti-terrorism functions in the federal government, but, but this that elevating any of those functions to a cabinet level always gives more focus and attention and makes them more important. So we had Department of Homeland Security created after 9-11. I would not be surprised. In fact, I would predict something similar will be created. Whomever is the president next year, it matter, uh, that they will take a lot of the functions, maybe add to them, that are in various parts of the federal government that try to predict pandemics, plan for pandemics, try to prevent pandemics, put that all in one federal department, elevate it to the cabinet level so that there's a secretary there that the president appoints and can can see the president on a regular basis. I I think that's almost a a sure thing, at least that's as close as the sure thing prediction I'll make, that we'll have some of that, uh, we'll have that done in some time in 2021. Here's one of the questions. The next question you gave me for the next topic is one of those questions that has been around since whatever time immemorial means, and that is, can bad things produce... No, wait a minute, I've got to get it right. Can bad things produce good things? No, can bad... Yeah, bad things... Yes, you got, you got Did me I get it right? Yes, can bad, you got it right. Bad things produce good things. Yeah, I wrote a... I do a, I do a bi-weekly column that a lot of... Uh, the weekly papers around North Carolina are, are what you mentioned, uh, uh, take. And uh, that was my last column. And what this is based on, Thomas, some observations economists have made when they've looked at um, the different periods of time in our economy, and particularly in two periods, times when the economy is good and 
or growing and thriving, and then times when the economy is not too good, when we're in a recession or even worse, a depression. Um, one of the things economists have noticed, there seems to be uh, more innovation, more creation of new ways of doing things uh, during the bad times and the good times. And so one, one of the explanations of this is that when you're, if you're a business person and you, you've been struck by this pandemic and you've had to operate under operating fewer hours and your workforce is not there and you're and you're still trying to make a make a go of it, make a profit, keep your head above water, your brain is naturally going to think about perhaps ways of doing things, ways of operating that never even crossed your mind when times are good, because when times are good you just keep going. When times are bad and you want to survive, you really gotta look at your situation and try to figure out ways of of of, of keeping afloat. Sometimes you can't, but Oftentimes you do. So one of the good things that might come out of this, of this uh, pandemic-created recession, is that we may see people, business people, entrepreneurs, um, really innovate and create new ways of doing things, create new ways of serving the public, new products, etc. And um, that may be one of these good things. Now, this doesn't always mean, for example, in the job area, that we're going to keep all those jobs because when you innovate, you often you often move resources around, so you may create some new jobs, but they're different jobs with different training needs, and some of the old jobs will, will go away. But that is one of the things that hopefully we will come out of this, is that um, bright people will be able, and I, I'm certainly not in this category to, to predict, but bright people will be looking at this situation, and it's almost a matter of survival and thinking about, all right, if I'm going to survive as a business, if I'm going to have a product or service, kind of figure out a product or service that people want that it can, I can do under these very trying circumstances, uh, your brain is really going to be motivated to do that as opposed to a time when you're, you're just going, going through and everything's working right and you're selling your things and, and money's coming in. Now that's interrupted and that really will trigger the brain to think outside the box. Dr. Mike Walden is our economist. He's updating us for the month of July. Can you believe, Dr. Walter, we're halfway through the summer already? Oh, no. I mean, this this has been a, a Twilight Zone-type situation for those people who were old enough to remember that time period, I mean, with, with uh, everything that's going on regarding, particularly regarding the virus. So, no, it's, it's really hard to know what time it is. <laughs> well, you're the second person. Uh, one of my good friends uh, addressed our current situation. Is how much long is this episode of Twilight Zone going to go on? And yeah. So that... Uh, for those of us who remember uh, Rod, uh, what's his name? Sterling. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. Sterling. Sterling, yeah, Sterling, I think. It, one of the great television programs yes. ever on. Uh, From Ithaca, uh, New York, which is uh, where Cornell University is located. You say again? He's from Ithaca, New York. He's from Ithaca. Far uh, above waters, indeed. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to come back and uh, face a little bit more of uh, your updates on the economy right after this. I'm Bernie here. We're here every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 until 10 with some programs that we hope you will uh, be edified by and that you will enjoy. I forgot to promo at the end of the uh, halftime break, and so I'll say that tomorrow night we're going to have an archive edition of a program from last year's Bastille Day, which is July the 14th, and it's tomorrow will be Bastille Day, and Dr. Stephen Vincent, who is a professor of history at NC State University, had a particularly good program, so we're going to 
uh, on as an archive edition. We haven't heard it in a year. We're going to listen to that tomorrow night. Ed Morris, who's the head of the North Carolina Historical Museum, um, excuse me, the Wake Forest Historical Museum in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And what we mean there uh, is sort of a town and gown thing. And that is to say, when the Wake Forest Historical Museum is really devoted to a great extent to the period in which Wake Forest College slash university was a part of the Wake Forest uh, uh, town. And uh, they got along together and... and uh, it was a great relationship, and it's a good bit of history. Uh, and so there's a nice museum there, and Ed is the director of it, works for the university part part of the time, and he comes and visits with us occasionally. So we're going to talk a little old gold and black tomorrow night. Nostalgia night on Thursday night and Friday night, we will have uh, we will have trivia night, and it may be a music night again. We've got to find out if uh, Jason is going to be producing. He's the one that usually does that. But in any event, we're talking economics tonight with Dr. Mike Walden, Dr. Walton, I remember reading an article one time that if the economists had paid attention to the building trades in the 1920s, they would have had a signal that the Depression was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's important what's going on in things like concrete and steel and wood. Well, it certainly is. And and actually, we have some some good news here that um, we did see a tail off in construction and, and home buying and all other kinds of real estate activity. When when the clampdown came and businesses had to close and people had to stay home. However, as the economy has reopened, uh, we're seeing a, a lot of good activity in the construction area. So much so that lumber prices, you, if you had a need to get lumber and you've been able to track prices, lumber prices have gone way, way up. And that's partially due to the fact that during the shutdown, when, when a lot of the economy was closed, the lumber mills weren't operating now, they are operating, but what's apparently happened is a lot of people who perhaps would have used money um, to go on a vacation, um, or and now they find they're, they're not doing that, they're staying at home, they find they're working at home, uh, they may be educating their, their children virtually. People are really looking at their, their dwellings. Um, if they own a house, they're looking at, well, should I add on, maybe put a deck on, uh, if we're going to... If that's where we're going to spend our, our leisure time outside. And so there's a lot of construction activity going on. A lot of it, obviously, construction generally uses lumber. And so we've, we've seen a spike in lumber prices. Uh, now, eventually, I think that will come down as more, more supply comes forth. But, but there's a lot of activity out there, construction activity. Another element here is construction, at least in North Carolina, was deemed as one of those essential industries. So building projects, uh, whether they be uh, transportation projects, office buildings, or home homes or apartments, uh, those were able to go on. But uh, lumber price is one of the negatives there because if you are, for example, thinking of doing anything in the home remodeling, you're usually going to have to have lumber. Uh, you're going to pay a higher price than you did uh, a few months ago. One more topic, and Dr. Warren, you're getting very good at judging the time of these things. You're, you're going to turn out to be a radio guy yet, because it's going to wrap it up in a nice, neat package. And what you're going to be talking about is, quote, the new meat packers. That's right. And uh, if, if you're familiar with them, I, mean, I know you are, Tom, but I'm talking to our audience, dealing with the North Carolina economy, we have a very significant meat processing, or some would call it meat packing, industry. In fact, uh, Tom, you know this, in Tar Heel, North Carolina, we have the largest meat processing factory, I believe, in the world. So 
So meat processing, processing is very important to us. We've had some issues there. People who work in meat processing plants usually work at close quarters. Uh, it's, very, it's very difficult, very hard, uh, tedious work. And so we've had some outbreaks of the virus there, and, and uh, the packing companies have, have tried to try to clean that up. But one of the things what I want to talk about here is, and this is another example of where 20, 2020 is really 2030, I saw a report the other day where some meat uh, processing uh, companies or factories are bringing in robots to to do the uh, uh, the cleaning of the meat and the and the um, um, categorization of the meat, the carcass, et cetera, the, the cutting and 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 so trimming, et cetera. They're bringing in robots to do that. Um, now the robots apparently cannot do nearly what a person can do. There's a lot of very fine work that goes into that. But many think that that may be the wave of the future in meat processing plants, that more and more of that work will be done by robots. And this is just another example of where this pandemic, I think, has, has again, reinforced the trend, because we've had robots in a lot of areas, other areas, even before the pandemic, that's reinforced the trend that businesses, uh, if they can, might consider using machinery or technology in place of people as a result of this pandemic. So it has coming now to the meat processing plant. I keep thinking about the articles that I've read over the years about the meatpacking industry and the, you know, the, from the time of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, mm-hmm. where they right. talked about the, the, the processors of, say, the hogs or pigs or whatever produced and used everything but the squeal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just what I think about when you talk. But you know, they didn't think that robots could to put automobiles together, and the Japanese proved that that was wrong. And uh, that's right. And, and I saw the other an ad for a robot that's kind of like those things you can get for inside your house to clean your house that'll uh, mow your lawn now. Mm-hmm. Well, Doctor Walton, you you just about did it because we've only got about thirty seconds left, and so that gives us time to. Well, Tom, we can hopefully. Um, uh, Hopefully our respective teams we root for this time next month when we're back on. Hopefully we'll be have some smiles on our face. At least the baseball is back, and our teams hopefully will be doing well. Well, I've watched some of the, the older games that they've mm-hmm. been running. I have, fact, too. Uh, I cannot remember Vato's name. Is he still with the Reds? Joey Vato, he is, yes. Joey, I couldn't remember. Probably Joey, in the twilight of his career, but he, he is still there, yeah. I know they've always thought a lot of it, but anyway, we will, we will talk baseball next time. Okay, okay. thanks, Bob. Good night. Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University, visits us once a month, usually about the middle of the month. We don't have a particular day tied down, and he'll be back about the middle of August. Good Lord willing. In the meantime, tomorrow night, we're going to hear about the Bastille Day and the history of the French Revolution.